0: Honestly, it's probably a bad sign that of all the players in this film, the dinosaurs are probably the ones one roots for the most. Liz Shannon Miller of Consequence, a damning review of Jurassic World Dominion and a rare time that both Chris Cody and I are both watching the new film we're reviewing. So Cody took his four-year-old daughter <laughs> to go see this movie. Chris has been doing a great job here watching the old movies, the new movies he's in on as well. Another new-ish film that I saw, it came out late last year, but I finally saw it, Mogul Mowgli, my boy Riz Ahmed Maddy co-wrote the script, he stars, and it's fantastic. And our old movie this week, The Social Network, a favorite of Adam and Means. A lot of people love that movie. David Fincher, Aaron Sorkin wrote it. I also watched that on a plane. That was on my return flight back from San Diego. So, Three good movies to talk about. And our wild cards. Hey, no guests we've had the last two weeks, so we got two guests this week on the wild card. David Frankel, director of Jerry and Marge Go Large, yes. which is going to be on Paramount Plus this Friday. Amazing title. I'll review the movie next week for our new movie, but this week we have the interview. And Tommy Edwards, who has a new documentary about Colin Kaepernick. Both those interviews are coming up, but Big news out of the gate, Cody. This is our one year anniversary podcast of I being mean, with Metal Arc. Because I checked, June 11th was actually wow. our first show together. And it's been a great feels year. Feels like it's been two months. Is that? Yeah, that's the compliment. That's right. It feels <laughs> like it's, I, you never know when someone goes, it feels like it's been five. I go, no, that's not. If, if someone goes, it's shorter, right. that's the compliment. Mm-hmm. Two months, once. Well, we just started yeah. this thing. But we're going to have not just one more year, but two more years of Cinephile. Just on a new contract with Metal Arc. So this is great. Wow. Years. Two-year deal. So, listen, 50 episodes a year, 100 more episodes of Cinephile. We're at 225-ish so far. So, 325 episodes, no matter what, guaranteed. Look at us.
1: Way. Look at us.
0: So, of course, thanks to you and thanks to Dan and Bimmel and John Skipper and the whole crew. But here's the bad news, though. I didn't have to take a pay cut. So, because of that, some belt tightening. I called DirecTV yesterday. and I checked my bill. I go, this is. I this has to stop. Guess how much my bill right now is for DirecTV.
1: <sighs> I mean, I'm a Comcast guy, I, I so I'm going to base it off mine. Mine's really expensive. I pay, like, I think 250 a, a month or something.
0: Great guess. 231 a yeah. month. But I go, this is ridiculous. So I call them up I go, listen, I've been with DirecTV for 12 years. I, since I moved to America, I've been a DirecTV guy. Loyal. Are you giving them
1: this through- spiel? Like, you're saying all this to them. <laughs> right. Because <I'm laughs> they don't TV get guys. that all the time. I've been with you guys forever. Yeah. <laughs>
0: But someone said to me because you have to say I'm canceling, and then they'll look out for you. So I go, I'm done. I go I honestly, I love the service. I don't want to quit, but it's too expensive. I can't do it. I go, everyone wants to stream. I go I hate streaming. I'll be honest. I go, I like watching sports. I like flipping the channels, watching sports. I love my direct TV. I like watching HBO. I don't have to go on the streaming service. But I have to do this now. She goes, all right, one second. So let's see what I can do. I'm like, here we go.
1: Do you she drop goes, in uh, hey, I'm Adnan Verk? No, know, never, know. never, never.
0: She goes, You have the 2099 protection plan. And protecting what? She was protecting your equipment. And I go, no, I don't, I've i never had an issue with equipment yeah. in 12 years. Get rid of that. But it's such she a goes, bullshit charge. Plane? She's basically like, yeah, exactly. we're screwing
1: Thank you with you. this one charge. That's it. She should have just right. said that instead.
0: Right. She goes, well, you want the uh, basic protection? Eight, no, I want zero protection. Zero. <laughs> okay, anything that happens, I'll, that's my problem. I'll deal with it. She goes, that's $100. I go, well, we'll figure it out. I'll, then I'll just cancel that. When yeah. something breaks, I'm, like, well, I'm out of here. I'll call
1: you again and threaten to cancel, and then you'll send me your stuff.
0: So she goes, 29 I can save you on that. She goes, how about Cinemax? I goes, Cinemax? She goes, channels 514, 5, I go, never check those Who's channels. watching like 10, Cinemax
1: unless it's like at I, 2 a.m. and you're 14 years old?
0: That's exactly what you think when you think of Cinemax, a blue <laughs> movie. I go, no, I'm, I'm 43 years old. I'm not watching that. She goes, all right, that's ten ninety nine gone. She goes, and now, because you're a loyal customer, I'm going to knock off $40 a month for the next 12 months. She goes, that is a savings, sir, of $480. I'm like, I can do that. Thanks. <laughs> So she goes. So we're going from one ninety six eleven down to one fifty six eleven. I go. It sounds great, but I need to get under one hundred fifty. I go. Can you can you just chop off six dollars and eleven more cents? It's one hundred fifty bucks. She goes. Let me look. She goes. Okay, your sports. <laughs> this is package. such
1: bullshit. The fact that yeah. she's just sitting there like, all right, what can I do to make this guy happy? Uh...
0: Yeah. She goes. Okay, sports package. She goes. Well, what are the channels you most watch? I go. MLB Network NHL Network, you know uh, ESPN, Fox, like all the major channels, uh, HBO, uh, Fox, kids huh? channels, Nick Jeez. Jr. You know, maybe Fox Sports. Okay, <laughs> yeah, kidding. no, not Fox News. Jeez, oh, no, <laughs> that'd be an amazing that revelation. Reveals so, himself, we're a huge Fox News guy. Like what? They're they're not even showing. By the way, how hilarious is that? I was in the airport, and they have like every channel showing all the, the hearings about January 6th. Oh, yeah. Fox. No, we're not good. We're not going to show Damn. this. stuff. We're good. Anyways, um, so she says. Uh, Okay, here's what I can do. The sports pack. She goes, do you watch the golf channel? I go, no. I said, everyone I work with loves golf. I couldn't give two (sighs) shits. This whole live golf thing going on right now. I go, couldn't care less. (sighs) You can lose that golf channel. She goes, how do you feel about the tennis channel? I go, I'll be honest. I adore Federer, but he's not coming back this year. I think we're okay. I, I, I can live with that tennis wow. show. I watch it five times a year. Steve Weissman, I love it, but I go, I got to get rid but of all it. But tur- all
1: the just. big tournaments are not on the golf, the tennis channel, right? And same with Thank golf.
0: <laughs> exactly. So I'm like, I don't need these channels. So she goes, okay, I can get you down to 156 11 to one thirty eight eleven. I go, $18. Because we have to part with one channel that you said you watch a lot. The NHL Network. Wow. <laughs>
1: Did I bleep that out? I don't want to get you in trouble with (laughs) your...
0: So so I I, I hear go, that's because the tier one package is all the stuff you watch that you said but if you want the tier two sports pack you get golf channel tennis channel Fox Sports 2 and you get NHL Network I go I don't want to pull rank, but I'm on NHL Network I I can't cancel that channel I go that's $18 a month I need to see myself I need to see what my hosts are doing analysts etc I go no so 156.11 Oh you kept it okay I
1: was going to say if you actually got rid of NHL Network we were going to have to bleep that
0: no, no, I'm keeping it. No, there's no way. At that point, I got to. No. You can't go into work. Or what was on the network today? I have no idea. It's but like I'm a
1: narcissist. A I house. need to be able to DVR myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I still save $75. So make your call to 1-800-DIRECT-TV, and you can save some money like I did. Do you watch yourself? Got... No.
1: Yeah. Like, it has to be something that's like, oh, this was funny. You might go back and check or something.
0: Correct. But even then, like, I, I guess I'd have to DVR it ahead of time. Be like, today will be a good show. Yeah. Right? Because I'm like, I'm not going to... Like go maybe out, if you were... Inter- I bet
1: you, maybe you like, when you interviewed Costner or something, maybe you DVR that. I'm trying to think, like, when you DVR stuff.
0: Yeah. That would be the only the time you're right. I'm going to Feel the Dreams. I know it's going to be a cool event. Let me DVR these shows. Yeah. That is kind of cool. Yeah. But otherwise, on a daily basis, I'm like, no, nah, nobody right. cares. <laughs> so, got back from San Diego. Listen, phenomenal trip. On the way there, I watched Mogul Mowgli, which we'll do our review of in a second. Did a little reading. The food was unbelievable. I, I mean... Again, I don't want to pull rank and sound like an elitist, but first-class food, Cody, the Belgian waffle, I mean, just loaded with sugar. That's like, the best Belgian waffle I've ever had in my life. What? Like, it was On a plane? And, yeah, incredible. I'm like, this first-class food, man, they, they know how to I write. thought you were talking about you're the food
1: in San Diego, and then you're like, no, this first-class Belgian
0: class waffle, <laughs> United, people like to crush airlines. Belgian waffle, United, I'll fly morning travel every time just for that Belgian waffle.
1: I heard Aaron Rodgers randomly interviewed the other day and he was, it was like a rapid fire questions. And he said, favorite food city. And he said, San Diego. I know San Diego oh. is just gorgeous and a great place to be, but I didn't know it was known for food. Is it good seafood out there? Like what food is he talking about right, when he yeah. says San Diego?
0: Mexican food Yeah. and seafood. Okay. So the whole time I was there, I just ate fish tacos. Oh. Like by the end, I had gills like on the back of my <laughs> neck. It was incredible. I was like, man, that's all I cared about. And when I landed, like MLB hooks it up. They have like my, my driver. And like it's such an ego stroke. There's a guy holding a phone, Burke? like an iPad. It just has my name on it. Yeah. They, they've they've, right they've, they've to...
1: moved on to iPads with that. It used to be a sad piece of paper, and now yes. it's like an iPad with it, like digitally written.
0: Correct. <laughs> now I just go, "Yep, that's me." We start walking to the car, and nice I They don't car, check ID on that stuff, huh? It, that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to bring up. Like, how do we know that I'm Adam Burke? Like, I, you got to try that sometime. Just take another yeah. guy's car, and then after like ten seconds, God, I'm just kidding. It wasn't me. I just want to see if that would work.
1: Jackson Smith, that's me.
0: Yeah, let's go. <laughs> so anyways uh, it's gorgeous like you said I, first I world to, problems uh, huh
1: driver first class waffles I mean you're just painting a real struggle here for the people
0: that was, that's why that's why they cut till the direct TV like, 231 a month I love
1: that, that juxtaposition <laughs> I love like first class best Belgian waffle I've ever had trying yeah. to get uh, direct TV to lower my bill by $12 <laughs>
0: So I get to the hotel, I walk to Balboa Park, 30-minute walk, I love Balboa Park, I go to Coronado, gorgeous beach, they have the Hotel Del Coronado, which is famous for a movie, and the, and the driver's telling me, the Uber guy on the way there, he's like, yeah, there's a famous movie there, you like movies? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am have a film <laughs> only I'm you sure. knew. Yeah, and he's like, uh, Marilyn Monroe, do you like her? I'm like, do I like Marilyn Monroe? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> what's not to like about Marilyn Monroe? Curvaceous, big, you know, whatever, I'm like, yeah, of course, I'm in blonde Bombshell. He's like, her movie there, I'm like, well, she did a lot of movies, he's like, um, like a really big one. I go. Some like it hot. He goes, Yeah. I go, Really? With Jack Lemmon? Is it? Like, yeah. Because there that, that was shot there. I'm like, Great. So I go in the hotel. It's pretty cool. But do you have anything here uh, honoring some like it hot? The like, guy's like, Yeah, of course. Go in. Like, kind of gives an eye roll. Like, Yeah. Yeah. People <laughs> like, the you there you go. Tired of they the shit. Go ahead. Bought, yeah. Around the yeah, corner. Yeah. Bought a little marquee magnet. Yeah. Some like it hot. They have the movie playing. 24/7 you bought the magnet. Corner. Bought a magnet. What doing with like it? it? Hot, Where's it
1: going? to Where do you put it back? Where do you put magnet? Know,
0: you put it on the fridge. What do you mean? Put on the magnet. I put it right in the wall. It'd be great. Not a big magnet guy. from school. I put up there What do you mean? I'm more of the shot glass guy. If they had a something like a hot shot glass, you're right, I would have got that. I did get a San Diego shot glass as well, okay. which I wish it had said San Diego. It means a whale's vagina. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But they had a lot of something like a hot merchandise there. They had like you know books and stuff about Marilyn Monroe, the movie, et cetera. Game was great. Here's the crazy part. That night... Because I'm there the night before, I'm like, well, let me just go do a little scouting and watch the game before. You get the, the media pass, pull pull a little Roy Bellamy and just go watch a game for free. So I'm sitting with my buddy Kevin Dillon, research. We sat in the left field stands, sat like in the 200s, then went to the right field. So we're in like the right field stands, crushing this like ice cream. This is unbelievable, like a cookie ice cream sandwich. So you had
1: credentials, but you just went and sat in empty seats. Correct. Right.
0: So a guy walks up, guy from Montana, recognizes me. as like, hey, big fan of my golf thing. got a couple of cute boys. He's on TV. He's originally from San Diego. I have a little conversation. Nice guy. He goes to his seat and then I've never seen this before in a ball game. How many ball games you and I have been at? Oh. And I look over and I'm like, oh, my God. And there's these two kids. I think they're kind of play wrestling. But then they start fighting. I'm talking. Like, they're like, kind of like my son at DN's i So like 10 years old. They're like punching. Like, and I'm just aghast. And I look over and the guy's recording it. And I'm like, oh, oh my God. And then a woman comes down. It felt like it was an eternity, but it was probably 10 Wait, seconds. Wait, was it the it was
1: parent like, that was filming it?
0: Yeah, so there is a parent filming it. Okay. Let me put it this way. There's an adult filming it. A woman runs down, separates them, like grabs one of the kids and turns to the guy filming and is like, what is wrong with you? And she scolds him. Yeah. She's like, what is wrong with you? Like, what, what are you doing? Yeah. And he's like, oh, it's not my kid. I don't care. What a jerk.
1: I'm like, like guys, I'm all 40. for taking a phone out and filming random stuff. In, but like two kids fighting? Like, <laughs> that, like Jesus, you monster. Like, you're going to post it on your Facebook
0: later? Right. It felt like the equivalent of like, watching cockfighting. It was just a disgusting spectacle. Yeah. Two Kids fighting, and this guy's recording it on his phone, and he literally was so arrogant. So were there, like, but that wasn't apparent.
1: Like, what happened? Like, there was yeah. no parents of these kids because I don't care, it's not my kid. But there was no kid, like, there was no parent of those kids. Were they like there? The
0: parent of one of the kids grabbed her kid and walked away, scolding that man. Were they did those, those two, two kids
1: come them together, them? or were these two random kids like drunk guys do at games, like meeting and fighting? I need more details on this,
0: yeah. That's where you need more detail. <laughs> I was stunned. I, th- I thought they were like cousins, friends, okay, grabbed, like play fighting. And I'm like, oh, they're fighting, like, they're throwing punches. Like, oh my god, there's two. Ten- like should I have broken it up? And then my friend was like, "No." He goes, "The camera would have caught you." I'd never in work separating two olds Well, I think fighting. as long, long as you're not, you hero. don't want to
1: get physical with the kids. But yes, I, I, th- in that spot, if they were near me, I would like, hey guys, come on, like you don't want to get aggressive, but if you got, sh- yeah. it, that would be a heroic moment for you. I, I disagree with your if friend. I just jumped in. So if God you, you jump in, in and clearly are not aggressive, but you're just like, guys, right. no, like,
0: yeah, fighting is. You're not a hero. Answer. You
1: make Sports Center.
0: Yeah, let's let's go watch the Padres. Come on. Yeah. I haven't been on sports there in four years. Here, have, have my, my ice tongue. cream Let's that you'd go like go. half
1: eaten. Let's
0: yeah, eat my ice cream. Let's go yeah. Padres. But very, very bizarre scene. Anyways, uh, San Diego is having America's finest city. Fish tacos, Coronado. I went to Mission Beats the next day. It was amazing. On the way back, first world problems. Stuck on the plane three hours in the tarmac. And I just go to bed. I'm just like, I'm just going to sleep this one off. Because it was a 7 a.m. flight. I was only a three hour sleep, anyways. Like my on
1: the plane, not, like on whatever. the tarmac, you're like, I'm just going to go to sleep. Wake me up when we're yeah, here. Yeah. And,
0: and when I woke up later on, I knew it was very delayed. I'm checking my phone at 10 30. I'm like, oh my God. And I asked the guy next to me what happened. He goes, apparently it was low fog in San Diego and they were backed up on the runway. I go, how long were we just sitting here? Like three hours? He's like, oh yeah. He goes, because you didn't hear the noise? I go, I heard something. That at is one insane.
1: Point. Goes, that ability in that moment where you're being delayed, so you're angry. It's not like it's not like the beginning of a flight where it's like, oh, I'm just going to no. go to sleep. You're like, oh, this is going to be a delay. I'm just going to, like, I would not be able to sleep in that spot.
0: Well, that's what the guy said to me. because the adjutant anxiety. He goes, two people asked off the plane. Because that's what happened. I, go, I did hear some noise. He goes, there was an uproar. Like, what? Because that costs more time for someone to get off a plane to go back to the terminal or whatever. Guy's going to get off. And I'm like, but we weren't moving anyways. I understand why that's such a big deal if I guy wanted off. That's an impressive
1: sleep. Like, if you said to yourself, what's the most impressive sleep you've ever done? <laughs> Sleeping three hours while people are annoyed on a plane on a tarmac. That's an impressive sleep right there.
0: Might be my greatest accomplishment. So, anyways, we get to Chicago. I don't know if you, how often you go to the Chicago Airport, but I always go to Nuts on Clark. Amazing caramel popcorn, a little bit of cheese Never popcorn. Crushed that seven bucks <laughs> small bag. And then I said, okay, I missed my connecting flight. And she goes, no problem. There's one flight if you want to be on standby. I said, okay, no problem. She goes, we've already rebooked you for the seven thirty. Should have been a two thirty. So I'm, I'm getting there like five o'clock. She goes, one on st- if you run there right now. If you're that guy, an embarrassing guy to ever run, right. you might be able to get it on the standby. Okay. And she goes, "There's only one thing." I go, "No, I want to get home as soon as possible. I want to see my wife and children. I've got work to do tomorrow. I'm yeah. working a double header. I, go, I got to get home." She goes, All "Right, the only one thing. You'll lose your first class seat." Uh, and I go,
1: I'm, "That's fine." I was about to say, dude, if you <laughs> you were about to not be relatable, if you were like, "Nope, couldn't do it,"
0: <laughs> like what kind of a person would go? You know what? No, I really want to see my wife and kids, but it has to be in a first Dan class Levitard. conditions. Levitards. No, he wouldn't do that. He would. He would go, oh, this is...
1: <laughs> If It's only like a three hour difference. I don't know.
0: Yeah, middle she, seat? The, were you was, middle seat? No, thank God. It was a five, And I don't know, right? I go, 550 flight? I'll just take it. <laughs>
1: They're like, sir, you have to be in coach, but since you were in first class, we would never put you in a middle because we know that was <laughs> just... We moved some little child who will now be sitting in the middle so you can sit on the aisle.
0: Yeah, I got an aisle <laughs> seat. I saved an hour 40, and I watched Belfast, which was my number two movie of last year. I loved it. Watched it for the second time. Loved it even more. Great. So, um, yeah, great times there in San Diego. A couple travel stories. And, by the way, on the return flight after the three-hour delay... Belgian waffle again. So two Belgian <laughs> waffles. Thank you, United. You guys cry I gotta try it. Before this. Before we get to some movie reviews, we gotta talk what, about the Tony. What airline last is
1: this, night. by the way? United. Okay, I just want to see if it's on the internet, but go ahead.
0: Yeah. So before we get into the movies, last night I watched the Tony Awards. I don't think I've ever watched the Tony Awards in their entirety. Normally I've watched maybe five minutes. I watched I watched some of it actually. Movies. Yeah. I was like, listen, a little song and dance. And this year I had actually watched, as you know, American Buffalo and Mr. Saturday Nights. So I want to see if they won. Both of my shows. Ofer. it's just embarrassing. Like Rockwell's unbelievable. Great mustache. You see him dancing with Ariana DeBose. Lawrence Fishburne did an incredible Daffy Duck at one point. If you haven't seen it, just Google Lawrence Fishburne Daffy Duck. Amazing. Ariana DeBose, very attractive. Great host. Yes, she was. Great hair. Like, like won an Academy Award. Like great good opening song. number. I mean, good opening number. No opening like she is This is your talented.
1: round of applause or something. That was like the theme. No, of she
0: one. was fantastic. Like yeah, she is. She has a lot of charisma. But the big moment that I want to talk to, you, which I tweeted, and you respond to my tweet. Yeah. Billy Crystal, I'm rooting for. He did a great number. It was a very famous. I guess it was very Jewish. He did it. He did it in the theater. It was a Yiddish sketch. That was a little like cringe Shiro's for me.
1: Scat. I'm gonna be honest. I watched that performance. Yeah, it just seemed like an old guy. Yeah, like yeah. trying to still be entertaining, and it's like all I got is let me split up the room. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, yeah. hey. And yeah. it was just like,
0: wait, wait, he didn't do that. It was Yiddish yeah, scab, But But ahead. it was like it he was would do voice something, voice and air air then the, the
1: crowd would repeat it. It was kind of the essential of like, I make a noise, you repeat it. And it just yeah. seemed, I was like, this is what we're like, this is his big creative thing of like, I'm Billy Crystal, I'm on Broadway, yeah. and I have a chance to perform yeah. at the Tony's, and it's like, I'm going with repeat after me. And it's just like, I just was like, I I was like, oh no. (laughs) And he's doing the thing. He's like making these jokes that no one references, these references, these like old references. And I'm like, wow, nobody gets these references. Cause you, I remember you said how old the audience was and I could just, as he's performing, I'm like old people and only old people and Adnan love this.
0: (laughs) I loved it. I thought it was unbelievable. Like, yeah, Billy. Listen, in fairness to you, it was not the song I would have chosen for Mr. the woman Fetter-like. that went because,
1: like, the way they did it, was like a woman from the show did a number, and that was great. Like, I liked that song, right. and then he came out, and it was just like, yeah. hey, 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 hey. I know it was Yiddish, but to like, be clear, that is not what he was saying. But was it was Yiddish like basically, scat. hey, I'm going to say a line and then repeat it to me. All right, now the the balcony. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He did <laughs> the. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was so like, okay, this is it. Billy Crystal thinks this is the height of creativity.
0: <laughs> 74 years old and So then he gets stiff, right? So then it gets to best actor And I'm like, okay And they don't call it best actor It's like Featured actor in a musical Yeah, get over I yourself think I, think, I think it's equivalent to the best actor Featured actor in a musical I'm like, alright Rockwell's already lost I'm pissed American Buffalo lost Best director Like I'm pissed Like this is just, As long as Billy wins I'm like, whatever doesn't win, and I always watch, and of course, I'm locked into the DVR, one of the greatest inventions of all time, so whenever the winner gets announced, I watch it, and then immediately I press rewind just to see all the reactions. So I see the guy wins, and I'm like, all right, let me see yeah. him. And Rockwell, when he lost, I mean, like, ah, because like a big applause, a right. oh, classy gesture. I watch Crystal, no hand clap. Incredible. Like, I was like, wow. Like, you know the camera's on you. Even with a stiff smile, Cody, you just go, mm, like Yeah. That. And I'm like, no, he blatantly, clearly just stared straight ahead, didn't look angry, didn't look sad, clearly did not clap. Just like, okay, it's not going to be me.
1: All right. You think that you wow. like if you had to bet, if you were a betting man, are you betting that that was just him like reacting or was he trying to send a message with "I'm not going to clap?" Like was that no, was, was that react, innocent?
0: Dude. I'm 74 years old. I want to win a Tony Award. I'm Billy Crystal. I'm this guy. By the way, some guy playing Michael Jackson, which, if you think I don't like Tom Cruise, you get me a start on Michael Jackson. Dude, but that guy, that
1: performance, that dude dances just like Michael Jackson.
0: (laughs) And he's incredibly talented. I'm just telling you again, on personal, like after I watched Finding Neverland, the documentary of Michael Jackson, that guy's a pedophile. Like, it's stunning that there is a Broadway show dedicated to Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's kids came out. Again, if you can separate that aspect, you are right. That guy is incredibly talented yeah. and clearly looks like he deserved the award because he danced. It sounds like Michael Jackson. Yeah. But maybe that's why Billy was mad. He's going to fuck Michael Jackson <laughs> on Mr. Saturday Night. How about Billy
1: Crystal? How about you? Have You've had a great career. Okay. Yes. You've got plenty of money. Yeah, like Nobody, like everybody respects like your career. Like just clap. Okay. Like don't be the bitter old guy. Okay. Like I just, I don't like the no clapping thing. I,
0: I, I'm curious after this. People, again, people will Google me or tweet me, Cinephile Pot. I don't know if people are making a big deal about this. I haven't checked, but I'm like, I had a couple of friends text me because they saw my tooth. They're like, yeah, Billy should have clapped. That was surprising. He did not clap. I'm like, pretty simple gesture. Alright, there wasn't any clapping for me watching Jurassic World Dominion. Spoiler alert, this is our latest film. I love the fact that Cody watches. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let him handle the mail on this, but I'll be, I'll be real quick with my review. I took my elder three boys, so 14, 10, and 5. Did not bring my three-year-old. Chris's daughter is four. Here's the review. Four years after the destruction of Isla Nublar, whatever, dinosaurs now live in a hunt alongside humans all over the world. This fragile balance will reshape the future and determine once and for all whether human beings are to remain the apex predators on a planet they now share with history's most fearsome creatures yeah 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 all right i just thought it was way too long two and a half hours i mean the story for the first 45 minutes took a long time to get going i'm like where what are we doing what was happening Uh, yeah
1: i totally agree the first 45 minutes were really cringe The, the first 45 minutes i was like wow this is way worse than i was expecting and then it gets a little better
0: a little better. Great to see the OGs. Yes. Love Goldblum, Sam Neill, Laura Derner back. Yes. I mean, the original Jurassic Park was 30 years ago. I mean, it was back in 1993. So it was nice to see them. And when their universes collide, right? Chris Pratt yeah. sees them and their team sees them. But overall, a disappointing film. Yes. Let's be
1: honest. I, I mean, yeah, I, I can't agree with you. I mean, I, I can't disagree. I think it's getting a little overly crushed because I do think once it gets into it, it's a little better. But I'm not going to sit here and say that I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did kind of get into it by the end. I was like, oh, wait, I forgot that I didn't like this. Like, there was a moment as it was, like, getting to its climax that I was like, oh, wait, maybe I am into this a little bit. But then afterwards, I was just like, that first was really cringe. Like, there are some, they're trying to set up the story, and there are a couple scenes that it's like, how did this make the final cut? Where it's like, this just is so awkward, and how does Chris Pratt have this, like, relationship with these dinosaurs where he just points his hand and they listen to everything he says? It's just, it's just, I don't know.
0: Rotten Tomatoes, to your point, it's not like an, maybe it's a 50% Rotten Tomatoes, like, it's not horrific, but clearly being lambasted right now by critics who have just been licking their chops. The sexual
1: tension between Dr. Grant and Laura Dern, though? Yeah. It's like, didn't they, like, I thought that in the first one they had that sexual tension, and then they never really, like, you know... like they left the first and then now in this one they had the sexual and then they finally kiss at the end i mean spoiler alert that was laura
0: Laura Dern's point she came out and said listen i thought in the original film was a little bit cringeworthy of the sexual tension because there's a big age gap there's a 20-year age gap with these two samuel's 74 years old laura Dern's 55 yeah and you go okay 74 but back in the day 30 years ago i mean he was 44 and she's like 25 years old and he's like yeah let's go i'm dr grant yeah Look at my dinosaur. Like, what's going on here? Like, this is disgusting. The
1: main takeaway, the one thing that this one does, just like the the original, is anytime they play that damn score and they're looking at dinosaurs, it becomes the greatest movie I'm ever watching for that, like, 10 seconds. And as soon as the score goes away, as soon as the score goes away, but it's just, there's uh, maybe Star Wars. Like, what is, in terms of a score that just fits the movie so perfectly, when they're, like, looking, hmm, (laughs) and they're like looking at these oh my god it's goosebumps every single time
0: yeah, John Williams is the commonality. Both Star Wars and Jurassic Park, Spielberg's longtime composer. In the original film, when Richard Attenborough says, Welcome to Jurassic Park, and that music swells. I mean, that's one of the great movie moments of the last 50 years. One of my good friends in college, Andrew Leshefsky, he just loves Jurassic Park. He's seen it like 50 times. His dad would make fun of him. The song would come on, he'd say, Get a life, Andrew, get a life, Andrew. But there's something about the Jurassic Park music, and clearly... I'm sure this movie will make a lot of money. How about Campbell Scott being in the movie? Yeah, Campbell Scott was great in David Mamet's film, The Spanish Prisoner. That came out in 1997. He's playing Lewis Dodgson, the villain in the movie. Stunning! Like he was in Singles. Like he must have been just elated when he got the phone call, like, "Hey, we want you to be the bad guy." Like, really? Like, I'm still r- relatable and yeah. still relevant. Like, incredible casting coup for Campbell Scott. That's our thought. I'm gonna give it one and a half Maple Leafs. Yeah, you.
1: Um, yeah, that sounds right. One, well, maybe two. I'll go two, just to okay. be decent. You give it, two it. needed percent. more comedy. It just, it was just like yeah, another thing too.
0: None of these movies are fun, are they not? There was no fun in this yeah, movie. Like, where's is... the lash? Where's the goofy stuff? No, yeah. this is just a very serious bland. You knew th- at one
1: point they'd end up in a Jeep in trouble. We at least got that. I mean, that was. Right. Yeah.
0: I mean, I just—I expect better of Goldblum. I just love Goldblum. All right, quick one here on Mogul Mowgli, which I uh, watched on the flight. A British-Pakistani rapper is on the cusp of his first world tour, but is struck down by an illness that threatens to derail his big break. Directed by Basim Tariq, and it's written by Riz Ahmed along with Basim. And listen, it's more proof why Riz Ahmed is one of the best actors alive. I do get a little bit concerned because he's now followed up Sound of Metal, which was my favorite movie of that year, which is about a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing. This is about a rapper Loses his ability to function with his muscles. Like, what happens is his he can't get up from his you know his thigh muscles because he's having a problem. He's losing his muscle coordination. He gets sent to the hospital, and they're like, "Yeah, you have this degenerative muscular condition." You know, I'm like, "Is it Lou Gehrig's disease?" They don't phrase it that way, but essentially, he's using losing strength and control of his muscles, and so he's hospitalized. He loses his chance to be on the first big break, and like he's just angry, bitter at the world, and then it comes up. Really surprising it ends up being this like father son twist that his dad also suffered from this condition and oftentimes it's hereditary, but for some reason didn't impact his dad that badly. But he has a chance, it doesn't necessarily have to be degenerative. They say there's this risky surgery you can take and he's like, Yeah, screw it, I don't care like you give me the surgery, fine. And at one point there's a process called cupping. Do you have an idea what cupping is? I mean,
1: I have an idea what I think of it as.
0: Exactly. That's what I would have thought <laughs> before. But it's like you take suction cups of a guy's back. Oh, I have seen that.
1: Thing. I've seen people's like skin after it, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's just disgusting. Big red circles on his back. I'm like, oh, my God. And Riz Ahmed is in good shape. He's a thin guy. He looks emaciated by the end of this movie. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, he probably lost 20 pounds, and it feels like 50 on most people. So I loved, again, his immersion in the character. I'm just a little bit concerned. I hope he doesn't go down the path of, like, disability actor. Like, every, every film's going to be, what's wrong with this guy? Like, I hope he does, like, you know, a comedy or yeah. something different next time. But there's no doubt he's an intense actor and riveting. There's one scene where he's not sure if the surgery is going to work if he's got his own life back. So he calls his ex- girlfriend. Because the doctor says, listen, if you get the surgery done, you may not ever be able to have kids again. Like, you know, south of the border, you're, you're, you're done. It's over. So he's like, you should probably freeze your sperm. So he goes to a sperm bank. They have a bunch of magazines they give him. He's kind of like, oh, you know, he's, like, he's looking for more like girl on girl, whatever. And he's like, yeah, this looks like old old porn. He's like, I'm fine. She so goes, we have some movies for you. And he's like, mm, okay. So he calls his ex-girlfriend. He's like, hey, you know, what's going on? What's up? How you doing? How you doing? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. What are you up to? And he's like, so like, like, "What are you wearing? Like, what, you know, what's, what's going on?" And she's like, what? Like, what do you asking me this stuff for?" So he explains, "I have this degenerative muscular condition. I'm, I'm here to freeze my sperm. Like, I don't know. Like, I just just want to if you can help out a little bit." And she says, "Okay, let me uh, let me just go get my dildo, which I have in my purse." I'm like, "Oh my <laughs> god!" He's, he's like, "Wait, what?" She's like, she was like, I can't believe that you have not talked to me, and the urge you have to call me is just because you want to jerk off." And he's like, "No, no, it's, it's not like that. Like, I, I mean, it is, but I need to. You know, I don't know how you do it. Like, click. I'm like, oh, this isn't going to go well." Um, the last scene is a great scene. I'll give you a five second spoiler alert because Cody's never going to watch the movie, so I want to just tell him what the yeah. scene is. But anybody else wants to watch the film? It's called Mogul Mowgli. You can watch it on United Airlines or wherever streamings are available. Just watch up, you can find it. That's enough of a spoiler alert. The last scene, he's out of the hospital. We don't know if surgery's going to win. I'm going to assume surgery's going to take. And he's on the toilet, and his dad is standing outside. He's like, hey, you know, let me know when you're done. He's like, yep. And there's a song that he loves. As a kid, there's like a cassette tape of like this. Indian or Pakistani musician, and I can't remember the exact song, but it was like "teka teka bang sing," like something like that. Like that was the refrain, right? So he's on the toilet and he can hear the song playing because he was playing the cassette tape, but, you know, like reminiscing, nostalgic, right? And his dad's like, "Oh, you're old cassette tapes." So he's like, "Bang a bang, sing!" He, he does it again, like "Bang a bang, sing!" He's on the toilet and his dad starts to get into it. He's like, "Yeah, bang a <laughs> bang, sing! Bang a bang, sing!" And they both start to bang a bang, and, they of them do, and it's, they're both really getting into it. And he's like, Aah! And it's like Hulk. He's able to get himself off the toilet seat. I'm like, "Yeah!" And, like, and, he, and his dad's like, doing bang a bang, sing!" <laughs> they he's just going nuts. And I'm like, "I thought what a." triumphant way to show a guy overcoming adversity. He's on the toilet, he can't get up, and he starts getting the name of a song he remembered as a kid. I'm like, that is an original way to end a movie. So we don't know for sure if he's cured. Of course not. But in that moment, he feels like he has great. a moment of you know excitement. And the way his dad's doing, it, they both get fired up. And he hugs his dad. It's it's a sweet moment because you know a bad movie then would say, "Hey, I love you, dad. I'm sorry about everything." No, he just hugs him. He's kind of like, "Yeah, yeah." Kind of pushes him. Yeah. Like, like, "Guys, just, yeah, you, you." Yeah. And the dad's like, "All right, I'll let you uh, let you clean up." I'm like, yeah. He goes, with, you know, kind of looks in the mirror, cleans his hair. Boom, movie over. But I'm like. It was a great ending. I'm like, I love a great ending. Most movies don't have great endings. Mogul Mowgli, great ending. Props to the great Riz Ahmed. Old movie, The Social Network, yes. which you've seen before and you're now... Re- anyway, Mogul Mowgli, I'm giving to it three and a half Maple Leaves. I loved it. Great film. The Social Network. As Harvard student Mark Zuckerberg creates a social networking site that would become known as Facebook, he is sued by the twins who claimed he stole their idea and by the co-founder who was later squeezed out of the business. I mentioned Mogul Mowgli has a brilliant ending. How about the brilliant opening to The Social Network? That's one of the great opening scenes of any film in the last 25 years. You talk about putting yourself in the movie, Aaron Sorkin, rapid fire, rat-a-tat dialogue, establishing the character, Jesse Zuckerberg, really smart, but definitely a dick, here with this girl, Rooney Mara, who he pisses her off and alienates her, and a great, great, like, almost a clothesline of a way to end the conversation yeah. when she gets up and says to him, you're going to be really rich and successful at computers one day, and you're going to think people don't like you because you're a geek. But it's not because of that. It's because you're an yeah, asshole. so good. Like, that That whole scene was amazing. Even when he insults you, he goes, you don't need to study. You're to be you. Yeah. Like, his his arrogance and elitism comes across yeah. in that five minutes. It's a great opening scene, yeah. isn't it? Yeah,
1: it's so good. And there are so many good scenes in that movie, so many good performances. I always liked the movie, but watching it this uh, last night, it was – So good, man. Jesse Eisenberg, was he nominated? Because he was excellent in that movie, man. Like he, like I just lose it. He's Mark Zuckerberg to me. I don't even think about Jesse Eisenberg. It's one of the. There's a lot of good performances in that in that movie. I I really love it. It's really good, man. It's just and the writing from Sorkin. It's just chef's kiss. That movie.
0: Yeah, I don't believe he was nominated even for an Academy Award that day. I think he won the National Board of Review Award for Best Actor. There's a real controversy I remember with with the social network because some people think he should have won. For, he was nominated, nominated for Best Actor, did not win, but. Um, people were arguing that it should have won against the King's Speech. It was a film I love. And our former producer, Joe, it's one of his top five favorite movies. I love Colin Firth. Speaking of The Staircase, that just ended. A bit of a depressing ending. But anyways, um, Eisenberg is great, to your point. And I think that was a really good year between the King's Speech and Social Network. Good back and forth with those two films. But the whole cast, how about the scene? You know, I always think of scenes that these should be like memes. When Andrew Garfield is dancing, he has that funny hat. He goes towards and he cuts in that dance. I go, that that should be used more as memes. Yes. Like, I would like to bring that back. Yes. If you haven't seen the social number, Andrew Garland putting a hat on, trying to dance in a club like yes. that, that that ten seconds should be used a lot yes. more when people are talking about it. One of
1: Andrew the funny radio. scenes also, it's like a it's like a throwaway scene. There's no reason for it to exist, but it's hilarious when uh, the the uh, the girls are coming over to their place, and he like yeah. throws the beer, like he throws a beer to to Justin Timberlake, <laughs> and he catches it, and then he's like, "Here you go," and he throws it, and it just smashes against the wall, and then he throws another one. It's like it's such a ridiculous. It's not even important for the story at all, but it's really but, funny.
0: And Timberlake doesn't even flinch. Kind like, <laughs> of like beer bottle on the wall. Like, let's just keep going. I'm glad you bring up Timberlake's performance because he's very effeminate. Like, he's this charismatic guy, but very effeminate. Even when he's like, you know, that scene where he's whining and dining and seducing them and Garfield's not being bought by, but Eisenberg's loving it. And then when he gets up, he's like, lose the the. Yeah. Facebook. Such a cleaner.
1: Yeah. I know his character's supposed to be that, but it's just, I did not find his character likable.
0: No, and the, even the first introduction, he's with some girl who's got Stanford on her ass. She gets up like in her, in her short shorts, and she's like, "He's like, you don't even know what my name is." He's like, "No, I remember." He says her name, says she's in music. He's like, oh uh, you also play the trombone?" She's like, "No." He's like, "I remember something about a trombone." How about the fact there's a rusty trombone joke being made in the two thousand? Like that was unbelievable. I'm like, I remember something about a trombone from last night. Like, yes, yeah. Timberlake, Aaron Sorkin, just being a dirty bird. Um, I
1: love how dramatic also, the movie is at that point when it doesn't really need to be like the scenes when they go out to like the row, it's just like, it's just like, it's like, the is that cinematography? I don't know the terms always, yeah. but like, it. I just like the vibe. Of it. The vibe of the movie is much more intense, even though the story is intense, but it has the vibe and like the music at times of like a
0: thriller. I'm glad you mentioned the music. Amazing score. Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross. That was when, of course, the Nine Inch Nails star first started to branch out into composing. But, like, even after that first scene, you hear that, doon, doon, yeah. doon. Like yeah. that, that music is him awesome. Him walking. It's, it's like
1: him just walking through campus, and they make it as if it's like a Michael Myers scene.
0: To- totally. <laughs> I-, I love this song. Yeah, soundtrack. it's really good. It's awesome. If I have a criticism... Right, one other thing with Social Network, it's kind of odd to watch Army Hammer in a movie now because his career is over. He was supposed to be in The Offer, which is the show I watched with Miles Teller, which I love, but now like, he came out that he wants to like hurt women and he's a cannibal. Like, Whether or not he actually is a cannibal, yeah. he has cannibalistic ideas and thoughts. Like, I want to eat you. Yeah. So it's a little tough watching the film. Like, This guy wanted to eat all the people on set. It was also oh. like,
1: c- can these frat... I don't know if it's a frat, these like clubs of these Harvard, like, are they as douchey and as piece of shit as they come off? <laughs> like, they make these dudes seem like they're just the worst of all humans. Yes. Like, it's it does, just Right, like,
0: It makes you think if your daughter ever went to one of these schools, like, don't go Like, over. I know in We're college, like,
1: it's just such a stereotype of like, oh, the women are naked. And it's just like, why are like, I, I feel like nowadays, it's probably not like that at college. Like, this isn't the no. 70s.
0: <laughs> it's true. Every frat house has never shown in a in a pleasant manner. Right. It's just always scumbags. Like these guys are just total perverts. Yeah. If I have a criticism of the film, it's just very talky. Like it's very Aaron Sorkin, which means it's just a lot of talking. Like, after a while, you're kind of like it's a lot of dialogue. Like that script was probably like 250 pages. Like just, just can we trim some of this stuff? a little As bit? opposed
1: to what? Shit. Like what? Are, isn't all movies talking?
0: No, Sorkin, Sorkin's movies are particularly dense. Right.
1: Meaning each normally scene is shoot, like a full conversation.
0: Correct. So most of the time, if a two-hour movie would be 120 pages, it's literally one page per minute. A Sorkin movie, this movie is two hours. I believe the script is over 200 pages. Yeah. Like it's just so much talking. It's so dense. So like he has the characters talking super fast just to get through all the scenes sometimes. It really is a credit to David Fincher as a director because he makes it seem like it kind of flows. But I just thought the narrative momentum at times kind of starts to dip because it's, it's, it's such a barrage of words all the time. But he's obviously a brilliant writer. And it's a great story. and it's
1: I did think that, I, I, I thought the Rashida Jones character was a little odd. Like, they wanted to make that a thing where, like, she had a connection with him. It was, I guess it was to make uh, Zuckerberg not appear like that was the moments where you got to see maybe him not being a complete asshole. I don't know. Like, I just didn't get, like, they never ended up, like, dating, right? Like, so, like, it it almost seemed like that's what I don't know. Like, that was just an odd character in the movie.
0: Yeah, that's a good call. I would agree with that. I don't think she was particularly – it wasn't well-drawn. Right, Right, it's like – She's fine as an actress, but it wasn't There were scenes where it's
1: like, oh, they're going to connect here. But it's like, why did that happen? There was never, like, a – you know what I mean? Like the, it, Usually yes. in a movie, it's like, oh, those two are having this conversation. And later in the movie, there will be a reason, oh, that's why that happened. And it's just like, we never really got that. She just kind of talked to him. Right. She's like, you want some of my salad? Stuff. Are you hungry? Nope, not hungry.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I think most people have seen it. And now it's just interesting because like Elon Musk he was going to buy on Twitter. And people say, what about the Twitter movie? What about the Instagram movie? I'm like, no, the Facebook movie, we got that movie. I don't know if we need to see social media movies. But uh, this one really – really. I, did. Would, I would
1: watch a Twitter movie.
0: Okay. Going to Twitter, it will be greenlit. If you're out there, get a script written. Metal Arc will fund it. All right, that's the reviews. Now it's time for the wild card. We got two interviews here. David Frankel first. This guy's had an excellent career. We I mean, look at some of the movies that he's made, we'll talk about not only his new. I just ones want to
1: ask him about Marley and me. That's
0: it. Yeah. You're gonna get your Marley <laughs> and me on right now, David Frankel. Let's go.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to say for it?
2: Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
0: Hey, David, I'm Adnan. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. Really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, Adam, my pleasure. It's a real pleasure bringing in David Frankel. He is the director of "Jerry and Marge Go Large," starring Brian Cranston and Annette Bening, it is premiering June seventeenth on Paramount Plus. Funny, inventive, and charming—it's an excellent movie. I encourage everyone to go check it out. Once again, on Paramount Plus, David, thanks so much for the time. How are you?
3: I'm great, and thanks for having me.
0: Of course, first and foremost, you get to work with stars like this. So I, I see their performances and how much fun they are and challenging themselves, but people always want to know behind-the-scenes stories as well. So tell me first about Brian Cranston, working with the actor's actor, Walter White himself. What was he like on this
3: project? A monster, as you might imagine. Just completely duplicitous and terrifying at every turn. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you know, the movie got made because of Brian's passion to to play Jerry Selby, and... Um, he, he was enthusiastic from the start. And uh, what's remarkable is to, you know, to, to know that he was Walter White and here he, he is the, the, the kindest man and the most generous man in the world. And, and actually, I think that's we're getting a little glimpse of the real Brian Cranston in this movie. He is sweet, funny, generous, considerate, and obviously a consummate actor.
0: Yeah, I should just say the plot for those uh, before they see the movie. It's a little taste of it, at least. Uh, Jerry Selby as Brian Krantz. He's the retiree. Based on the true story, discovers a mathematical loophole in a Massachusetts lottery with the help of his wife, Marge, who's Annette Benning, wins millions and uses the money to revive their small Michigan town. All right, Annette Benning, Hollywood royalty. What's it like working with her?
3: The most down-to-earth person you can imagine. I mean, the first phone call I had with her, I... You fall. I fell in love with her. You know, there's a warmth that just she just exudes. That uh, you know, that that special charisma that movie stars have. And uh, her, it's just so kind. You know, she's the kind of person who, at the end of the movie, gives you a, a gift, and it's a and and it's a book. You know, she wants to share. She wants to read. Um, she's so thoughtful. She's so connected to to the news. She's so passionate about um, changing the world, making it. You know, so um, it, it was inspiring to be around them, and they connected so beautifully. They never really worked together before, but uh, you know, sometimes we had to pry them out of the truck. You know, they would, they would be sitting waiting to, to, to work and, and uh, we couldn't even get them out. Can I ask what the book was that she gave you? She gave me... God, it's, uh, I don't remember. I'm going to be honest. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I know she gave... I know what she gave my daughter. My daughter was my assistant and she gave my daughter a very funny uh, art book. It was an art book with funny captions, so I remember I was, I was struck by that.
0: Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, this concept is, you know, about generosity and kindness, like you said, and spreading good cheer. I think we can really reuse a movie like this and a story like this. How did you first get it attracted to the projects? So I'm assuming you did not know the true story. No, I,
3: I you know, I, I sort of glimpsed it in the news. I, when I read the screenplay, it reminded me that I probably had heard about it. Brad Copeland found the story in Huffington post. He's the screenwriter, hilarious guy, uh, long background in TV and movies. And, uh, the producer, Gil Netter, uh, produced Marley and Me With Me years ago and uh, sent me the script. And uh, it was early in the pandemic. And I said, I just leaped on it. And I, I said, this is, we got to make this right away. This is the kind of thing that's going to cheer up the world. Of course, two years later, finally is emerging. But, um, you know, that's, Hollywood moves slowly. And um, sadly, we're still, we still need the, the medicine. You know, we still need to laugh. We still need something to cheer us up and to inspire us.
0: I want to ask you while I have you, David, just about some of the other films. The Devil Wears Prada. I mean, what an iconic performance from Meryl Streep! Um, tell me anything you can tell me about that movie because I think it's so charming and funny, in a film that I'll be honest, I wasn't necessarily interested in seeing. And I saw it with my wife, and I said, "This is a delicious comedy."
3: Well, that was one of the things that surprised me is the crossover. You know, that had an enormous male appeal, uh, and uh, <laughs> and I think that's a testament. You know, Meryl used. Um, Mike Nichols and Clint Eastwood as her prototypes. That's, that's who she based her performance on. And I think she was really channeling them to some degree. And I feel like men in the audience kind of connected. It was, you know, it was sort of this very quiet, asturbic power. She never raised her voice, but she could be vicious. And uh, um, but at the same time, you know, I, what I loved about her, her character and the approach we took with the movie is that someone who said, I just want excellence. Why do I have to be nice too?" And I feel like the, you know, there's this cultural, uh, desire for ev- everybody who do- accomplishes something to also, you know, do it with kid gloves and, you know, people are, if, who are reinventing things or making things that are great, um, don't have the time to be nice all the time. So, um, I, you know, I, I unfortunately I feel like I'm nice all the time, so I, I'm probably not going to reinvent any, anything important, but, um meryl meryl obviously is uh was extraordinary the other thing she 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 didn't she was not a method actress but she was not um she didn't socialize she normally loves to hang out on the set she's a very social person and uh when we were making that movie she she did not hang out with annie and emily that she wanted to keep them at a distance
0: uh where does she come up with the that's all that dismissive catchphrase that must be maybe that's a mike nichols thing
3: yeah well that was actually a line in in the novel in uh in Lauren okay. weisberger's book that we you know we 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 used it a lot and um all credit to Aline Brosh McKenna who wrote a brilliant screenplay
0: okay please tell me because stanley is a part of the film who i love please tell me he cooked for you or cooked for something no i mean you know now cooking.
3: i'm watching the show and i'm going wow how did i miss all this but um He was, uh, you know, he was extraordinary. And, you know, the oddest uh, fact about his performance is that he wasn't cast until we were halfway through the movie. I was procrastinating and sorting through options. And finally, I, you know, I, I, I fell in love with Stanley and he came, I I met him on a Saturday afternoon at the cafe des artistes in New York and Monday night he, he shot his first scene. And, um, he had, you know, there was no rehearsal. He barely got into his costume and then he nailed it. It was, you know, really
0: extraordinary. Wow, that's incredible. He was able to do that. Marley and Me is a movie that all dog lovers can love. My partner, Chris, here would like a question about Marley and Me. Go ahead, Chris. Did you set out to just
1: make everybody cry with that movie? Because when I when I say of, of people of my generation, a movie that makes you cry, everybody says Marley and Me. I wonder if you wear that as a badge of honor.
3: Honestly, Chris, 100%. That was uh, absolutely the goal. And, um, you know, the movie for me and my generation was Love Story. And that was a movie that wrecked people. You know, you just, you could watch it. I mean, it didn't matter how old you were, you watched that movie and, you just came out weeping. And I thought, okay, that's my, that's the standard. Can I make a movie that is gonna, there's gonna be a line outside the ladies room after for 45 minutes of women going back in to repair their makeup, you know? And and uh, sure enough, at the premiere, you know, it took about an hour to get out of the ladies room. So, um, uh, you know, I, I really, I felt like we succeeded.
1: Did you get to the point where, because you, when you, I imagine, because I'm I produce stuff and when I listen to it, Fifty times, I'm like, okay, this is. I'm not feeling this anymore. By the end of editing, Marley and me, were you still feeling it?
3: Well, you know, it was a challenge, and um, that you know, the, the most important thing that, that gets uh, you know unsaid is how 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 important the music is for 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 um, stirring the emotions. And uh, I was lucky enough to work with a great composer, Teddy Shapiro, and uh, but even um, there's a, a moment at the end when Marley is is actually dying and uh I made him rewrite that cue seven times and i oh. said you know you got to be able to make me cry now after i've watched the movie a hundred times right. I, sh- I have to cry in the editing room and he finally accomplished it. it was a specific instrument i think it's the english horn that makes people makes men cry there's something about the nature of that particular instrument that's, that that uh, affects men profoundly
1: I'm imagining the third edit before the final one. And you're just like, Nope, not crying. It was
3: exactly that. You nailed it. Like if like you had a camera in the head anymore, look yeah, at my was- face, nothing.
0: I feel nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to also ask you, David, only because you mentioned Love Story, The Offer, which is a 10-part series right now. It's about The Godfather, yeah. and it's also on Paramount+, Plus, which is where the streaming service people yeah. can go watch Jerry and Marge go large. I don't know if you've had a chance to see it, but specifically, Matthew Good's performance as Robert Evans, who produced Love Story, is absolutely fantastic. Have you either seen the show or do you have a Robert Evans story for me?
3: Yes, so uh, both. I've seen the show, which and I and I think Matthew's great, and uh, my first meeting in Hollywood I was uh, 19 years old. I went out for the summer. And somebody my dad knew, knew somebody who knew Robert Evans. And so he arranged for me to meet Robert Evans. And I went to Paramount. the First time I'd ever been on a studio a lot. He had his own building. He had a, uh, it was sort of like meeting Mussolini. He had a huge desk, you know, <laughs> elevated up on a, on a little uh, riser. So you had to look up at him. And it was really dark. And there was one little light. He sort of sat in the shadows It was like a scene in The Godfather. I, I'm pretty sure that's how he lit it. And uh, <laughs> and I, he said, you know, what do you want to do, kid? And I you know, really talked like that. And I said, uh, you know, I want to be a gopher on a movie set. You know, I want to be a production assistant. He said, well, tell me what you really want to do. And I said, well, I really one day like to be a screenwriter. And he said, "So why do you, why do you want to get coffee for people? You know, what are you going to learn to getting coffee for people? That's all that job is. Go home and write." So I got no job, uh, <laughs> and I, but I did go home and write. And, I, and now anybody asks me about you know how I got started in show business, and I tell that story because it's Robert Evans said, "Go home and write," and that's the advice I give to any any young person trying to break in
0: to business is go home and do it. That's awesome. I love that story. I love everything with Robert Evans. I mean, the the kid stays in the picture. It's a great doc. I love the book. Brilliant. Was he as handsome in real life? The leathery skin and that hair. Was he like? Yeah, he like you a know. Star.
3: I mean, I think by even by the time I met him, and he was, this was years and years ago. You know, we're talking in the late seventies. You know, he needed this. He needed a lighting adjustment to still be at
0: the top of his game. But so do we all. So uh, you know,
3: who can who can fault him? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, You're also the son, David, of Max Franco, former executive editor of The New York Times. I mean, there is no bigger newspaper than The New York Times. I just imagine that would be so cool to know your dad is the guy who's doing The New York Times. Was that cool? Was it a lot of pressure? Was it interesting? Did you read The Sunday Times? All
3: of the above. It was very cool. There was a lot of pressure. You know, my dad, not only did he uh, achieve extraordinary success as a journalist, but he started as a refugee from Nazi Germany. So he didn't even speak English, you know, a word of English until he was 10 years old, he came to New York. And, uh, you know, by the time he was, uh, you know, graduating high school, went to Columbia, he was by the time he was 20, he was working at the New York Times. And that was the only job he ever had. So, you know, he had this incredible stability and, and meteoric success. And uh, I, of course, am a vagabond and, and uh, you know, go for years without work. And he, he's to this day, he still puzzles over like, how is it that you're playing golf on a Tuesday? What's, how, <laughs> I, what, what kind of life is this that you're leading? But, um, you know, he's he definitely inspired commitment to telling great stories. And, uh, you know, everybody in my family is somehow part of the media. My brother is a reporter on Real Sports, John Frankel and oh, yeah, uh, yeah uh, my sister was a uh, you know an uh, art director for magazines now as an artist so you know on and on it, it extends outside our nuclear family so and it's uh, a <laughs> it's a it was a fun way to grow up it, you know congressmen senators cabinet people coming to the house hanging out as a kid in the newsroom you know typing things in triple get, that kind of stuff
0: yeah i just picture you, you call these guys like smoking their stogies they got the fedora eh, don't bother right now kid, I'm well to get you
3: know start i mean our, our childhood pictures are you know i you know meeting lyndon johnson at the you know johnson ranch outside of in the on the pedernales you know or going to the christmas party at the white house and shaking hands with richard nixon you know that We had this weird charm, still on the fringes of politics, but a fascinating
0: childhood. Now that you mention real sports, I love John Frankel's work, your brother. I think he's a fantastic reporter journalist, asks really incisive questions. But of course, the number one question I'm sure he gets asked, and maybe you get asked, and someone mentions Real Sports, what the hell is Brian Gumble writing on that notepad when he interviews the journalist after the piece runs?
3: You know, Brian hasn't seen the pieces before they air. So he's really watching them in real time and making notes for the questions that he wants to ask. You know, if there's a statistic in the story, he writes it down so that the question, you know, the question is is fact based And um so yeah, he's not faking it. It's not like the rest of us on Zoom, you know, pretending that
1: we're taking notes while we're doodling. So, he, he, maybe once a year he doodles. Can we? Can we? Okay, uh, you know.
0: Man, that's a great nugget. I, I'm so happy now that I know exactly what he's writing down. He's actually taking notes in real time. David Frankel, Jerry and Marge go large. Write this down, everybody. Take a note and go watch his fantastic film. It's available on Paramount Plus as a June 17th. Brian Cranston, Annette Benning, terrific movie. And by the way, congrats on bringing the name Marge back. I mean, and I think of Marge. I think of, I think of Marge Gunderson in Fargo with, with the great Frances McDormand. So I just love the fact of the character named Marge in a movie. Yeah,
3: it's a great title. So credit the
0: Huffington Post for that one. But uh, yeah, we swiped it. <laughs> and in Fargo, as I think about it, Marge Gunderson was Frances McDormand's character, and Jerry Lundegaard was William H Macy. So it is truly Jerry and Marge go large. It's not a Fargo sequel, but it's a great film in its own merits. David Frankel, really appreciate the time. Thanks,
3: Adnan. Great to meet you. Bye, Chris.
1: I love that he called you Adam I, that this interview was an A plus for me from the moment he called you Adam let's play it back right here
0: hey David I'm Adnan thanks so much for giving us a few minutes really appreciate it yeah hey my pleasure oh yeah clearly Adam He's, he hit you with an ad at Adnan at the end, so he, he... exactly that, that. That's what's more important. The takeaway is not that he that he fell early. Like in life, you stumble early, but as long as you rebound at the end, that's what he did. Do you this think is...
1: that in his mind he's like, oh, maybe they didn't notice. I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to say Adnan next time. No,
0: because he gave he gave no indication that he said it wrong. It wasn't like he said it kind of like winced as he said it. What is that right? Otherwise, he's a great poker, but I think he said it and thought he said Adnan or thought my name was Adam. He was like, yep, nailed it. Hey, David, I'm Adnan. Thanks so much for giving us a few minutes. Really appreciate it. Yeah, hey, right? Adam, my pleasure. Good to be with you, Adam and then later on probably looked down and goes oh no that's not his name i'll correct this subtly okay i knew my pleasure <laughs> <laughs> i think that that's was a good interview though process. he was awesome great guy and speaking of great guys tommy walker mm-hmm. so many people have so many opinions about Colin Kaepernick, and that's why it's so awesome to welcome in Tommy Walker right now. He is the co-director of Kaepernick and America, fantastic new documentary exploring everything that you need to know when it comes to Colin Kaepernick. It's uh, premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival. A little bit of background here on Tommy, producer and director of documentary film and television. He's devoted his life to stories about race and identity. Most recent film was Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am, an artful, intimate meditation, the legendary Nobel and Pulitzer Prize winning author, co-director and produced the feature-length theatrical documentary, God Grew Tired of Us. And of course, he's done lots of other great work as well. Tommy, welcome to Cinefog. Good to see you.
4: Thanks so much. really appreciate uh, you having me on, Adnan.
0: So Kaepernick in America, my first thought was, all right, I lived through it. I think I know what happened. And then I see your documentary and say, there's so much that I didn't realize. And I think it's amazing how you're able to show how, you know, Colin Kaepernick and his protests were really of the moment. And yet they felt like it was something that was not only building from the past, meaning that civil rights and protests have been an issue in this country for a long time, particularly through sports, but it's almost predicting what was about to happen with regards to George Floyd and social justice, et cetera. Basically, Kaepernick was in tune with the times, but also ahead of the time. Can you speak to that, how that essence you kind of were able to come across in the documentary?
4: Sure. I mean, there's a lot of layers there. At the beginning, you talked about, you know, learning so much about, you know, the Colin Kaepernick story, and that was something that captivated us from the very beginning, was you know, His, his story is not you know, uh, the simple story of, of the professional athlete that often, often is told. Um, and so digging into that just gave us even more um, excitement about, about telling the story, partly because it's, it's so much about identity and, it, and, and not only Colin Kaepernick's journey towards identity, but um, America's own kind of struggles with its, with its identity, trying to figure out who we are. And that talks to what you, what you just mentioned. You know, we've had such a long history of of, of racial strife in this country. And in order to figure out ways to to improve on ourselves, we always consistently find ourselves going seemingly forward, but then also seemingly backward. Um, And I think, you know, what ends up happening as we start to look at the emergence of a more radicalized right wing party in American society and things start to happen that, are kind of prompted by the Donald Trump presidency. That's kind of when, Don, when when Colin Kaepernick is going through this moment of realization for himself, as he sees not just that, but sees the things that are happening in society, um, the killing of unarmed black men in society, you know, and watching those things, you know, really kind of pushed him into a new place. Beginning, you know, really obviously intensely in 2016, but but probably emanating and beginning before all of that happened, um, and so there's a lot to unpack there. And, you know, in, in, in the timeframe of, of a, uh, a long form documentary, it's not always easy to tell all of those things um, as widely as you'd like to, if we had four or five hours <laughs> or a series, mm-hmm. maybe, you know, you could dig into them even deeper. Certain moments when they happen, you recognize, I think, what kind of impact they're going to have. And sometimes
0: maybe you get surprised by it and go, wow, I didn't realize there'd be this groundswell of support. When Kaepernick first, in this instance, you know, took, said, I'm, I'm sat down. And then later it was like, okay, I'm going to take a knee. What was your reaction personally? Did you, did you think to yourself, this is a momentous occasion? This is a minor occasion. Like, what were you thinking when you first saw him do it?
4: You know, I, I, I was concerned for him. You know, this is not the first time we've seen this. Uh, Mahmoud abdul rauf you know, many years ago did exactly the same thing in the NBA. And we saw what happened to him. And, you know, he was a rising star. He was it, it's so interesting because there's a lot of parallels between him and Colin Kaepernick in the ways that, you know, he he was somebody who was his his career had so much promise. And 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 it ended basically by his gesture and similarly to, to Colin Kaepernick. And so, you know, when I first saw that moment, I was like, oh, wow. But I, but at the same time, wow, what 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 great respect. Because, you know, he was putting everything on the line. And that, that's the thing that occurred to me the most was like, you know, it was something that we needed in society to illuminate the injustices that, 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 that we're faced with daily. But wow, he, he really kind of risks everything, you know, for us. Uh, there's obviously lots of great interviews in the movie Kaepernick in
0: America. Is there one in particular that was really, really tough to get in which you afterwards you were like so relieved you were able to interview this person for their perspective on Kaepernick and the whole situation?
4: Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that some of the biggest linchpins for us, um, you know, Steve Weiss and, and and Nate Boyer really tie so much of this story together. DeRay McKesson, though, you know, it, I thought really helps us understand historically. And so for me, I think DeRay McKesson um, is the one that really stands out. You know, I think in, in order for us to unpack the Colin Kaepernick story, we got to dig deep into our past. And DeRay does that for us. Um, and not only that, but he's present. He's present in Black Lives Matter throughout this entire time. So we can contextualize what was happening on the streets um, and, in, and in protest at the same time that Colin Kaepernick was playing football and beginning his protest as well. So, you know, I think I think that, you know, I, I was really happy to get we were, we were really happy to get, you know, I, I should I should absolutely acknowledge that my co-director, Ross Hochrau, we did this together. This is a complete collaboration, um, not only the two of us, but also our other producers like Gary Cohen and, and Bill Stephanie. But, you know, when you step into that arena of people that are either former NFL coaches or are involved with the NFL, you, you wonder whether you're going to actually be able to land them. And Hugh Jackson, when we called him on the phone, he immediately said, absolutely, 100 percent, I'm in. So I, it, it, from a surprise standpoint, I was kind of surprised that it was that easy for us to actually get him in the film. And, and he also is it, all of our interviews are extraordinarily important. And um, I think Ross would agree with me on that as well.
0: Kaepernick in America, co-director Tommy Walker, just a thought on uh, a couple of some of your other films. God Grew Tired of Us won Best Documentary and the Audience Award at the Sundance Film Festival. I've been to Sundance when a few years ago. The Eccles Theater is so beautiful. That whole vibe is awesome. It really is people who are passionate about films, independent films, and documentaries. Just take me back to that experience and... Uh, I imagine how life changing it was.
4: Yeah, no, it, it absolutely was. I I'd spent a period of my life working and filming in um, conflict zones. I was in Sierra Leone um, in 1998. Uh, I was in the border and refugee camps in Guinea, also Liberia, and the experience of telling those stories kind of I got bit by the bug. And when the opportunity to do this documentary um, about refugees from Sudan. Uh, the Lost Boy story was written in in an article in the New York Times magazine. It felt like the next opportunity. So our crew, producers and co-directors went to a refugee camp on the border of Sudan and Kenya, a place called Kakuma, and filmed there for a week and, and, and followed five refugees back into the United States, five Lost Boys, essentially. And we followed them for four years. That was a life changing experience, you know, to, to realize and recognize the struggles, the intensity of struggles, life struggles that people have that are in no way comparative, comparative to what we have here in this country in in so many ways, changed my perspective in so many ways. And we were fortunate to get it done. We were fortunate to get it into Sundance and we were fortunate to have um, the response there that we did and to find our way to National Geographic. So, you know, it was a, you know, real, real life changing uh, event for me.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Like I said, you dedicated four years of your life, so it's great to see that kind of reward come through. Tommy Walker, fantastic job. Kaepernick and America, again, congrats to you, to Ross, the entire team, playing at the Tribeca Film Festival June 9th. Uh, Where can people see it? Of course, that's the biggest question. Where can we watch this terrific
4: documentary? So right now, it is actually um, uh, available virtually between um, actually starting yesterday up until the 19th of June. Um, It's just $15 you can go on and you can watch it anywhere in the in the country right now so you know we're still we're still searching for distribution and for a broadcast partner. Um, I feel confident that we are going to find that but I think this will be a great vehicle for that so whoever can can get out there and take a look at it um, and support us. um, We're grateful and thankful for that.
0: Yeah, I think you'll get a deal, no doubt. But in the meantime, you're right. Fifteen bucks, it's a steal to go watch Kaepernick
4: and America.
0: Tommy Walker, thanks so much for the time, man.
4: Thank you so much. Really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you, and uh, um, good luck with everything.
0: All right, great episode here at Cinephile. Thanks once again. One year here at Metal Arc, and two more years are coming. Next week, the review, Jerry and Marge go large, as well as the review of the old film, The Rock. We've been doing Nicolas Cage old action movies. Right side fair, I've knocked out Face Off, I've knocked out Connor. let's do The Rock, him and Sean Connery from Michael Bay. Last year was the 25th anniversary. So next week, Jerry and Marge go large, The Rock, and plenty more. Thanks to Chris Cody and the entire team, and I'll see you at the movies.